I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21-22. In your pew Bible, that's going to be on page 823 and 824. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Forgiveness sounds like a good idea until we have somebody we have to forgive. Isn't that true? Forgiveness sounds like a great idea. It sounds like a noble quality until somebody wrongs us, somebody hurts us deeply, or maybe they hurt somebody we love. And then forgiveness becomes extremely difficult. This morning, as we continue our series on things Jesus spoke about, I want us to spend some time thinking about what Jesus said about forgiveness. And some of what we're going to say this morning has to do with the way God has forgiven us. But specifically, I want us to talk about how Jesus commands us to forgive others. It's very difficult to live as a New Testament Christian to maintain the kind of heart and the kind of attitude toward others that God desires. And yet we do this because this is what God is like. Forgiveness. Maybe before we talk about forgiveness, we ought to talk about the alternative. The alternative to forgiveness is vengeance, but every once in a while, you might get the chance, the opportunity to have revenge on somebody. But more frequently, instead of vengeance, instead of getting even with somebody, more frequently what we live with in the place of forgiveness is resentment. Sometimes we call it bitterness. In Ephesians 4.31, the Bible commands us to put away bitterness from our attitudes, from our hearts, malice, an evil heart towards somebody else. And here are some ways to know that you and I have trouble with resentment. Are you listening? We have trouble with resentment if in our minds when we daydream, we keep going back over and over and over again to a place and a time where somebody wronged us. It's natural, it's what human beings do, but that's resentment to keep going back in my mind and to revisit what somebody did that hurt me or wounded somebody that I love. And I think about how I felt and the adrenaline gets going again and I feel angry again. That is bitterness, that is resentment to revisit the scene of the crime over and over and over again in our minds. Jesus says you can't live that way. You can't have a heart that does that. Or maybe, Maybe I'm resentful if, when I have conversations with other people, I keep bringing up those hurtful events over and over. It seems like sometimes when you talk to people, if you're just having a casual conversation, there are people in this world, and sometimes it may be us, 
that every time I have a casual, casual conversation, somehow the topic comes back to what happened to me. It's resentment, it's bitterness. Or maybe I've got resentment and bitterness going on if when somebody else comes into my field of vision, there are people in all of our lives that we've had contentions with. And if they come in the back door of the room and you see them, all of a sudden your blood pressure goes up. And you wouldn't mind if something bad happened to that person. In fact, you might kind of secretly enjoy it, maybe not so secretly. If something bad happened to them, if, if they got their comeuppance, if they got what I think they ought to get, if they got somebody, somebody wronged them, I'd really enjoy that. Those kinds of attitudes, that kind of heart is a vengeful, a bitter, a resentful spirit. And brothers and sisters and friends, when we look at what Jesus said about forgiveness, the Bible is as plain as it can be. We cannot, we must not live with a resentful heart. Just can't. Open your Bibles to Matthew 18. Look at verse 21. It was read by Jeff just a moment ago. Peter was asking, you know, a question. And you and I read the question and we think, well, he's just asking about quantity. But Peter asks in Matthew 18, 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Okay, Jesus, I understand that you don't want me to have a bitter and a vengeful heart. You don't want me to have malice toward other people. I understand that's what you're saying, but I mean, there's gotta be a limit on that, right? There's gotta be some kind of quantifiable number that if my brother wrongs me and I forgive him and he wrongs me and I forgive him and I'm, I'm putting away this vengeful spirit that eventually that's gotta wear out, right? Somewhere, Jesus. And the response of Jesus is not seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven, some translations say, and it's not about quantity with Jesus. He says, maintaining a forgiving spirit is a quality that ought to be a part of every disciple's heart. You wanna follow Jesus, you wanna be his disciple, we must strive to maintain a forgiving spirit regardless, no matter how frequently we are wronged. That's difficult, isn't it? But then Jesus makes it a little easier for us. And here's how he does it. He makes it easier for us to have a forgiving spirit by telling us a parable. And I'm gonna read the parable. You read with me. If you're looking at Matthew 18, beginning in verse 23, Jesus is making forgiveness easier for us by telling us how well we've been treated by God. Listen to what he says. The kingdom of heaven, Matthew 18, 23, may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's a massive amount of money. And since he could not pay, verse 25, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and for payment to be made. And the servant, verse 26, fell on his knees imploring the king, have patience with me, he said, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. That's not an insignificant amount of money, but it's far less than the 10,000 talents. He owed him a hundred denarii and this servant seized him and began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. 
So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus tells this parable so that we have an understanding of why a forgiving heart is essential. And he makes it easier for us by comparing the forgiveness of God to our willingness to forgive others. Watch this as the story unfolds this morning. What does it mean to have a forgiving heart? We need to understand, first of all, brethren, that God has forgiven us a tremendous, a massive, a great debt. If you and I don't have this principle in our minds, we are going to struggle to live the Christian life, period. It doesn't just have to do with forgiveness. It has to do with joy. It has to do with peace. It has to do with faithfulness and self-control. This principle that God has forgiven me a great debt, this must go down into our hearts and to our very souls. And this must be what motivates and drives us as Christians. God has forgiven me a massive debt. You know, sometimes we sing the songs about the great things that God has done for us, but when it comes to practical living and when it comes to our daily thoughts, this is not really a focus. It ought to be. We ought to give thanks every day for what Jesus has done for us. The master, he is owed 10,000 talents in this parable. People have tried to quantify that in today's money. There's no way to put an accurate number on that. It would be in the millions, if not billions of dollars. I don't know how in the world a servant racked up that kind of debt against the king, but he did. And there was no way he could repay that debt. And the debt that Jesus is getting at for us is the debt of sin. When I wrong God, when I transgress his will, when we sin against him, it is imperative for us to understand that sin cannot be undone. Just like this servant, if he had a million lifetimes, could not repay that 10,000 talents, you and I, if we had a million lifetimes, could not undo the consequences and effects of our sin. Hebrews 12, 16 and 17 talks about Esau when he sold that, he sold his birthright for that bowl of stew that Jacob made. And the scripture says he wanted to get his birthright back. He sought it with repentance and tears, but he couldn't get it back. And the reason he couldn't is because he'd sold it. It's gone. Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin cannot be undone. We owe a tremendous debt and it's one that we could never pay. Some people try. Some people try to repay their debt to God. They try to undo the effects of sin in their lives by morality. If I'm just a good person, it's like the little boy that misbehaved in services and his mother was taking him out and down the aisle she went and as he he went, he was screaming, I'll be good, I'll be good. From now on, I promise I'll be good. But his mother took him out anyway. Why? Because you can't undo the effects of misbehavior of sin 
by mere morality, by mere righteous living. You can't undo the debt of sin by education. If I just learn God's word, if I just have it stored up in my heart, that's a wonderful, noble thing. It's a good thing, but that does not take care of sin. It does not get rid of it. It does not excuse it. The fact that I know God's word is a great thing, but it cannot save us. We can't be ransomed by silver and gold either, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. We're not redeemed with silver and gold. If I had all the money in the world, I could not buy my way out. I could not pay for the debt that is incurred by sin. And Jesus wants you and me to see, as we think about what he said about forgiveness, we have been forgiven a great debt by God. And I want you to notice, look back at Matthew chapter 18 and look at the passage. It says in verse 27, that the king was moved with compassion. To repay the debt, that would be justice, wouldn't it? You owe the debt, you owe the money, repay the money. That's just, that's fair, that's right. And the king in seeking justice was about to throw this guy and all of his family into prison until the debt should be paid. That was his solution. He was gonna give justice to this servant. But when the servant cried to the king and he said, forgive me, I'll pay you everything. Brothers and sisters and friends, the king had pity on the servant. He had compassion on the servant. And what Jesus is saying to you and me is that God has had compassion and pity on you. And that ought to change everything about the way you treat everybody else in your life. It ought to change the way you think about who God is and what he's done for you. This king moved with compassion, not because he's seeking justice, but because he cares, he forgives a massive debt. I believe this. Sometimes you run into Christians who really struggle to be gracious. They really struggle to be kind. They really struggle to forgive. And I tell you this because the Lord says it. If we struggle with compassion, if we struggle with forgiveness, there is a link between my struggles with being compassionate and kind and my understanding of what God's done for me. There is a direct link. And part of our problem is not so much that we don't know the techniques for how to be kind to people. Part of our problem is, most of our problem is, we haven't thought adequately or deeply enough about what God has done for us. Isn't that what the text says? This master forgave out of pity and compassion his servant. God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ and through his blood. That changes the way we treat others. Notice this second. Brethren, when it comes to forgiveness, if we have been forgiven by God, God expects us to forgive others. And I want you to notice in the first place, there's a contrast. Look at verse 27. The, the master, the, um, excuse me, the servant fell on his knees imploring the master and out of pity for him, the master released him and forgave him of the debt. Incidentally, when the master did that, he said, I recognize I'm never getting the 10,000 10, talents back. I don't expect that back anymore. I don't expect you to repay that. I'm not getting the money back. It's gone. I forgive you. But then look at the contrast in verse 30. This servant goes out and he's got a friend who he's loaned. The Bible says 200 denarii, 100 denarii, excuse me, verse 28. A denarius was a day's wage, so 100 days wages. That's not insignificant, but it's certainly not as massive. 
And the Bible says he seized him by the throat and he began to choke him. And he said, pay me what you owe. He's angry and he wants justice and he wants what's coming to him. He wants what's fair. There's a contrast that Jesus wants us to see. And the contrast is this, brothers and sisters, my forgiveness of others has to be connected with how God has forgiven me. The way we treat others has got to be a reflection of the way God has treated us, has to be. Not only should you see the contrast, but you should see the connection. Look at verse 35, the end of the passage. So also will my heavenly father do to you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus says we as Christians, we have the obligation to have forgiving hearts. We have the obligation because of the way that God has treated us. Turn back in your Bibles briefly to Matthew 6, and I want you to look at verses 14 and 15. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. When Jesus taught the model prayer in Matthew 6, we often stop at the end of the prayer, but Jesus didn't stop teaching at the end of the prayer. He said, forgive our debts as we forget those who have trespassed against us. And then Jesus explained in Matthew 6, 14, watch this. For, Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, Matthew 6, 15, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those are challenging words, brothers and sisters and friends, because when I talk about resentment, I would imagine that every one of us, that resonates. I do sometimes daydream about what's been done to me. We do sometimes daydream about going back to the scene and you think about, you replay the whole scene in your mind of what happened and what's, she said this and he said that and, and I should have said this. And you go back and you do that over and over and over. And Jesus says, if you've got that kind of attitude and that's how you enjoy living, your father's not gonna forgive you. Said another way, James put it this way. In James 2.13, James said, in James 2.13, judgment will be without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know what mercy is? Treating someone better than they deserve. You know what forgiveness is? Treating someone better than they deserve. It's not about justice anymore, it's about forgiveness. It's about mercy. And Jesus says, and James says, the Bible says, if we fail to show mercy to others, God's gonna judge us by the standard we use. Judgment will be without mercy, the one who shows no mercy. Can I just be practical for just a second? I want you to think about forgiveness. What happens when I forgive somebody? A person in our lives wrongs us in some way. Maybe they wound our hearts. Maybe they, maybe they abuse or steal or, or misplace our property. They wound us in some way. Worse yet for many of us is if they wound one of our loved ones and you see your loved one hurting, you see your child or your spouse or someone that you care about, your friend, you see them hurting, you see them mistreated and you just, you, you just get so angry and so upset. Having a forgiving spirit, brothers and sisters, means a forgiving spirit. It means that even though I recognize the wrong, I am still eager to forgive. 
And when that person comes and says, I'm so sorry, I have wronged you, I'm not going to hold it over their heads anymore. I forgive you. I want your forgiveness. I forgive you. Jesus tells us that we are to maintain a forgiving spirit. And then once forgiveness takes place, somebody comes to you and they humble themselves and they say, by the way, this probably doesn't happen in most of our experience because nowadays in our society, we're just not that good at reconciling. We're, I mean, human beings are not that good at reconciling in the first place, but especially now, we just, you know, I'm just gonna move somewhere else or I'm just gonna sit in a different part of the building and just never have to talk to you, never have to look at you. We do those kinds of things. But once reconciliation does take place with somebody, there's still a challenge, especially if the wound was deep. You know what the challenge is? A certain little boy was living in a town where there was a bell, a bell tower. And he looked forward to the day when he could ring that bell. And so finally the day came when he could be the one to ring the bell to assemble the town for the town gathering. And he went and he started to pull on that rope. And after a while, that bell began to ring. And it was much easier for that little boy to keep pulling on the rope and the bell kept ringing as long as he kept pulling. And finally, the town had assembled and the town mayor came and said, little boy, it's time to stop ringing the bell. And the little boy said, well, but it just keeps going and going and going. And the man said, you've got to let go of the rope. And when the little boy let go of the rope, you know what happened? The bell kept ringing. And if he had so chosen, the little boy could have grabbed that rope and kept pulling it over and over and kept that bell ringing. But as long as he kept his hand off the rope, Eventually, the bell stopped ringing. When we forgive somebody, it's like the bell, the hurt. It just keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. And there is every temptation in the world for us to keep pulling on that rope and to keep thinking about what's been done and to keep holding malice and hatred and vengeance in our hearts. There is every temptation for us to keep doing that. But when we forgive somebody, what we're doing is we're letting go of the rope. And eventually in time, eventually it may be that that bell stops ringing. But even if it doesn't, by faith we say, God has forgiven me a great debt. Therefore, I am willing to forgive others. Ephesians 4.32, write that down in your notes if you're taking notes. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Think about that. I am to forgive others the way God in Christ has forgiven me. Third, this morning, not only does God expect us to forgive others, brethren, an unforgiving heart is a grievous sin. That's where the passage ends. It's a terrible sin to have an unforgiving heart. If you look at what Jesus says in the parable, this servant who goes and he, he chokes his friend and pay what you owe and the Bible says, this man has an unforgiving heart and watch what happens. There are consequences in his relationships with others. Verse 31 says, when the other servants saw what had been done, they were troubled. You ever have a relationship with somebody who is bitter? Have a relationship, a friendship with somebody who is angry? who had all kinds of resentment and all kinds of ill will built up in their minds and their hearts. You ever have, you try to talk and have a friendship with a person like that? Is it easy? Is it easy to talk to somebody that that's all they want to talk about? That's all they want to deal with is how somebody's hurt me? 
It affects our relationships with others. These other servants are disturbed. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, beware brethren, lest there be any root of bitterness in you springing up. Beware of that because it's contagious and it's also difficult in our other relationships. Even the people that you're not quote unquote mad at, the people that you're not quote unquote hurt by, even they, when you talk to somebody who's bitter, even they are affected by that. Not only does it affect our relationships with others, it affects our relationships with ourselves. In the King James, the New King James, there's a better translation than what the ESV does here. The Bible says that that king took his servant who was unforgiving and he delivered him to the torturers. It has been said about bitterness, it is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. To be resentful and bitter is like, is like wishing that somebody else would be hurt, but instead you're hurting yourself. And so it is that this servant, he's delivered to the torturers. There are people who live in an emotional and mental torture chamber because they refuse to have a forgiving heart and they don't think about the great things that God has done for them. And most importantly, an unforgiving heart affects our relationship with God. Verses 32 and 33, the king throws the servant into prison until he pays all. Think about it. God is gracious and he's merciful and he's kind, but the response, the right response is, if I understand what God has done, then I, I'm supposed to be that way as well. All of us are supposed to strive to be like God. And if I'm unwilling to strive to do that, if I don't mirror his treatment of me and my treatment of others, God says, John, I'm not gonna forgive you. I'm not going to continue to bless you. If you're gonna hold this hatred inside, if you're gonna hold this vengeance and this desire for, for revenge inside, and if you're gonna constantly think about how this person wronged you and you're not gonna let go of that, I refuse to forgive you too. Because the way we treat others must be a reflection of the way God has treated us. That's what Jesus says about forgiveness. It's important for all of us to stop and ask the question in my relationships with others, am I holding on to hatred, to grudges? Am I desiring justice and not mercy? Is that all I want? I want, I want justice in every situation and I don't, don't want to show anybody any mercy. I don't want to forgive anybody. Brothers and sisters and friends, it's a dangerous place to be. Jesus said, you forgive as God has forgiven you. You know, you look at all this and you hear these teachings and you say, that's still difficult, Jesus. I want you to hear one last thing. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, here was his first prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus went to the cross with a forgiving heart. And if Jesus went to the cross and suffered and died with a forgiving heart, then you and I can have a forgiving heart too because of what he's done for us. May it always be said of us that we care about others, and that we desire, we long, we have a compassion and a passion to forgive. Perhaps you're here this morning, you're not a New Testament Christian and you've not yet known the forgiveness of God. 
you haven't yet obeyed the gospel by repenting of your sin, confessing Jesus Christ and being baptized, God longs to forgive you. That king that was owed an immense debt, that king looks in pity and compassion at you and he says, repent and be baptized. I forgive you everything. Come to Jesus this morning, put him on in baptism. Or maybe we can help you by praying for you. Whatever your need this morning, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing.